0: You're listening to Culturally Speaking. This is Janice and this is Neha, and we're here to talk about all things cultural.
1: Okay, so today we're going to talk about coming of age in different cultures. Um, So, Janice, you and I were having a chat the other day about the film Australia, and I mentioned Walkabout, and you hadn't heard of it. Um, So, I thought it'd be good to dig in a little bit into that and discuss how other cultures also um, celebrate coming of age. So for anybody who doesn't know, walkabout is an Aboriginal ritual um, and it is undertaken by young men who go on, as the term suggests, a long hike and it's a very physical, And spiritual experience um, that then marks them as a man when they complete it. And just, I guess we should probably start off by talking about the term walkabout,
0: right? Because it's not the bar that we remember um,
1: from when we were at uni or when we were
0: younger. And just before you go into that, I thought it would be an interesting question to throw back at you. Did you do any kind of coming of age thing when you came of age? in no I didn't personally no did you well so I guess in you know I grew up in Hong Kong so the coming of age age is 18 um as with many other countries so what I did do was um buy a lottery ticket that was it okay yes that's that's a good so here I'd be 16 in the UK
1: so I think um that coming of age, that age as well, it, it varies, right, from country to country, culture to culture. So, you will get Sweet Sixteen, which was you know, massively boys, still massively popular, obviously oh in America God. because
0: it's the driving I age. I don't know. I wonder if people remember the Sweet Sixteen TV show on MTV.
1: Absolutely, there's
0: a girl in the year below me who was on that show. She was featured on the show. She was the person turning 16. Oh, wow. Anyway, I digress. Let's get back to walkabouts. (laughs) Amazing. So, yeah,
1: I mean, I I don't even quite know if we should be using the term walkabouts. Um, I've heard that it can be quite a derogatory term in Australian slang. So, The other word that I've seen it referred to, or the other term rather, is temporary mobility. So that might just be the more culturally appropriate way to talk about it. Um, So if anybody out there knows if that's right, if that's true, let us know. But um, yeah, I think for the purpose of the rest of the episode, we'll call it walkabout, but be cognizant that obviously we don't want to be offensive. Um, And so, as I said, It's really a rite of passage for young Aboriginal men and they have to undertake this hike, I suppose, if we're going to call it that, and survive alone um, in the outback. And so it's very physically challenging, obviously, but it's also kind of spiritual. They get to know the Aboriginal lands a lot better. And this journey lasts up to six months, so it it is a significant amount of time. Um, And to get ready for that, they go through a number of approvals um, from the Aboriginal Elders over months and years, and so they have to prove to the Elders that they are ready um, to undertake this journey. And I should probably say, age-wise, um, the young men are between twelve and sixteen, roughly, when they they go on this. Twelve to so sixteen is young, very young. I think in when we particularly when we think about today and today's culture. Um, but I guess it, you know, you have to think in a different time, in a different environment. Maybe twelve wasn't as
0: young as it feels today. So actually. Interestingly, um, okay, obviously, I didn't grow up in, you know, a walkabout situation. But when I was at school in Hong Kong, in primary school, um, in year six, we actually had our final exams a little bit earlier than everybody else at school. And right before we break for summer holidays, we would be sent on what was called an outward bound trip. So at age, you know, 11 or 12, we would go away and that would be, you know, most people's first time, you know, really. You're listening to Culturally Speaking. This is Janice. And this is Neha. And we're here to talk about all things cultural. Being away from home for the whole week, I think it's seven or maybe 10 days, um, then we would literally be supervised by a few teachers who had volunteered and we would be in this um, kind of, I guess, relatively in Hong Kong countryside area where we would hike, we would camp, we would learn to build water rafts with, you know, those empty um, water bottles and we would go kayaking and all of that at age 11, 12. We also so, did something similar yes um that oh, young
1: no and I think I suppose in today's world you need adult supervision but actually the core idea is probably just around learning life skills and learning to do things for yourself independently yeah. right and I guess it's very similar here so the men or the young men before they went on this journey they would be you know they'd have to know how to hunt and fish and what herbs and plants were edible um and they'd be told these secrets by the elders so they it was, it was like the passing on of the knowledge to them to say mm. this is how you're going to survive out there because it's a really unforgiving landscape um you know it's not going to take me prisoners so a lot of the i think there's a lot of similarities between what you've described that we did um versus what you know was done historically. Um, but ultimately, it's up to the elders to decide if the child is ready to go or not. Um, and
0: um, are there cases where they don't survive?
1: Well, this is many, many, many years ago, right? So I don't think okay. there is a known fact about it um, okay. as to if people survived it or not. When I was looking at it and looking into the, researching this episode. I was really surprised I mean this journey can last a thousand miles um Um. which if you think you're having to make your own shelter get your own food find water protect yourself from what is out there that's a significant amount of time to be alone um and I just really thought like the spiritual aspect I mean the physical aspect is is one thing to undergo and survive but also mentally. It really must be a time where you are finding out who you are in yourself. Yeah. Um, and I think that in as well, of itself as well is part of that coming of age. You know, do you know who you are, what you stand for, etc. For anyone listening in, if we sound different week to week, it's because Janice and I are in very different places right now. So we are we're not actually together um, to record it. But I thought food, we thought we'd talk food because I know that's really highlight okay, of everything we do. Mutual. So, yeah. so obviously, the hunting, anything that comes their way. Fish, I think learning to fish is, is really important, which speaks to the pescatarian in me. But the herbs and the plants I was really interested in. So, bush tomatoes, which I imagine are very yummy. Um, Illawaru plums, I've probably pronounced that wrong, but yeah, plums. Have you ever heard of something called a Kwandong? Uh,
0: no, I don't think so. Neither are I. I had to look this
1: up because I was intrigued, <laughs> firstly, by the name. Um, so it's a book, bu- like it's from the bush and they say it's got all sorts of properties and it's a member of the Sandalwood family. So it grows in... Like, Interesting. Very- yeah, grows in quite dry areas because it's a drought tolerant fruit which again i assume when you're on walkabout that's something that's really important as well um and so it actually grows all through new South wales so right you know um across that this is the state and it's supposed to be very good for you it's full of vitamin C. you can I mean the versatility of this thing I was amazed by. So you can obviously eat it fresh and like people put it in pies. Um so like kind of like catching how you'd have like a rhubarb or a stewed pie or a plum pie. I think you can have it as like a filling. But also if you dry it, the seeds um produce essential oils that are really good for you. What does it look like? Looks like a little bit like a plum, really. Okay. Um, a a small sort of red plum is how I uh, was what I described it grows on a tree um but yeah I mean it can be used for like foot massages it can cure toothaches um and does this plant still exist yes yes you can still get it today I don't think it's as common but you can still find it um so yeah I mean all the other kind of fruits and plants and things that the young man would eat there'd be berries there'd be seeds um, nuts and I was reading that they had to identify which herbs could use be used to like heal I um, was so like if you had cuts mm-hmm. or if you were hurt which ones would heal you and which ones could be like poisonous obviously as well so I thought that was really interesting so,
0: yeah um, move that's on. a lot to learn at that
1: age but I think, you have to think about it through the context of the aboriginal people were living on the land and they knew the land very well and so it's knowledge that's been passed down is the way i viewed it from generation to generation and it's knowing your environment and knowing how to live and how to sustain life in that environment
0: yeah and i suppose you know i always used to think um so I've been to the desert like once in my life. And it really you know, it's kind of like being out in the ocean where you admire the nature but also kind of fear it. And that's how I felt in the desert where because of the constant wind, mm. your landscape changes constantly. So it almost feels like it's pointless having a map because everything changes all the time, but I suppose for people who you know, live in such environments, they just have this sense of just knowing it. Right? Because imagine being in the middle of a desert with your camel or uh without <laughs> without a camel, but either way, people, you know, never used maps, right? People well, seem there, to know, there were so no I maps. Guess it's the same. So the average are yeah. indigenous, right? And you
1: mentioned yeah. maps. Well, they've got a really beautiful tradition as to how they navigated um the lands and they're called song lines so they're ancestral songs um so song lines are ancestral songs and they're called spoken maps um which i think is a really kind of logical way almost i guess of looking at a problem so they wouldn't have maps or compasses at this you know, point in time. So how do you mm-hmm. guide somebody? Um, well, you teach them spiritual songs. And you know, typically when people go hiking and camping, they sing songs, you know, past time around the campfire. But this is actually to navigate through the landscape. So they will be taught these songs that explain the landscape, um, such as rocks and rivers. Um, and they will sing them so that they know where to find these locations so if there's somewhere to hunt or somewhere where there's a river um by singing the songs they will know where to go and where to find them um whilst also discovering the lands that the elders have been through before which i thought was just a
0: really really lovely way of thinking about it i know this is a completely different you know time and country and all that but this just reminds me so much of Pocahontas and like you know the (laughs) old old dreamy like (laughs) singing about you know what life is and that just reminded me of that yeah yeah absolutely I can see that
1: um and so when you you're going through this journey I mentioned that it's a lot of self-evaluation and reflection Um, I found a really nice um, quote. And we'll we'll link it in the show notes. Is to say that walkabout is a journey across the land, but it's also a journey of the mind, and it's both of those things together. So that when they return, they not only know their land, you know, they're where they where they've come from, but also they know themselves. So yeah, okay. that was that was, and then they return, and then they're considered men. Um, But to your point earlier of how does it work today? um, Well, I think those of Aboriginal descent, obviously, it's important for them to preserve identity. And so Mm -hmm. it's probably not practical, though, to take six months off, right, from school, or if you're working, to go on walkabout. People have evolved and adapted the tradition. So instead of doing it on foot as well, which I think today, if you were to say, I'm gonna send a teenager into the Outback, you know, on their own. It'd be for arrested. Six months, right. So, you know, they might make it a road trip instead and they might drive through the ancestral oh, that's lands. Fun. Yes. Um, and still have that aspect of getting to know the land, but obviously not on foot, um, and still have it as some time to reflect on who they are and what they're becoming um which yeah I think like all traditions they have to evolve and be relevant for the
0: time that we're living in right I mean that definitely sounds a lot more meaningful than buying a lottery ticket
1: I mean I think a lottery ticket is still more meaningful than some of the sweet 16 parties on MTV (laughs) right and I think like a lot of other cultures where the coming of age has maybe started in religion, mm. like bar mitzvahs and um, quinceañeras, or like communion um, at 15 in like, Latin America for girls, and they've just become bigger and bigger, and it, it does just become a celebration in its own right. Um, so there's the kind of idea of, oh, well, my party was this and what did you have and it has become a much bigger thing than just the you know the marking of adulthood I think it's become a kind of show of who
0: you are right and your style so wait did they do these on their own or in a group of people of the same age
1: no on their own is how I understood it oh wow okay
0: yeah Really testing, really testing. I think. And is it just boys? Just boys. Which,
1: when I was looking at coming of age traditions around the world, a lot of them were focused on boys. um With you know some some exclusions, obviously in Latin America for the...
0: but bar, mit- bar, bar mitzvah you've got
1: there's a girl version That's of bar mitzvah, thing. yeah. So that yeah, there's a yeah. bat mitzvah and a bar mitzvah yeah um but i mean we've just had i don't know if you saw but david and victoria beckham's son their older son just turned 21 and had a huge party and in the uk like 21 was always seen as i think the expression is keys to the door not quite sure why because 21 isn't a legal age for anything you know 18 is the legal age for most things in the uk but 21 was always seen as a marker of you've become an adult maybe it's because traditionally it's when people left university and entered the working world
0: is it the same in Hong Kong
1: or is 18 very much the,
0: the nah, age? 18 is the thing I mean when I turned 21 we did have like a really nice dinner party um as well actually uh but I think that's more because sometimes. My mum, she likes a good party.
1: Nothing, a good so, a little you know, party, any, any.
0: Exactly. And actually, um, we had a really nice dinner party. And that was when I introduced the concept of a red velvet cake to the head chef of, you know, the clubhouse we were at. And you were yeah, a cultural trendsetter. I know. And I'll show you a picture at some point if I can find it. But I had like a. It was actually a rectangular cake, but obviously red velvet on the inside, um, fresh cream and cream cheese frosting on the outside, with like fresh red roses on top. Wow. So it was a very dramatic cake for twenty first birthday. I'm kind of imagining it,
1: and it I can just think it looks fabulous.
0: And don't judge me on this, but my parents gave me a tiara. Stop. <laughs> Was it real? And I was. uh, Yeah. But I just want to reinforce the point that I'm not, you know, any royalty or, you know, any affiliation. Bow down to (laughs) Princess Janice, people. I did wear it, though, again. um, Where does one wear a tiara other than at one's own birthday party? Okay, it's not the kind of Princess Diaries tiara that you might be thinking of. It's very, very... Um, How many kinds of tiara are there, Janice? It's just not very extra. It's quite a small... Okay, uh, so for
1: everyone out there, just to be clear, Janice does not think having a tiara given to you is an extra thing. Just just putting that out there as a marker.
0: No, the, thing, the, the act itself is extra. I agree, but the tiara itself wasn't that okay. bad so I wore it I think to my brother's uh, wedding ceremony brunch so that's when they got um, married on paper Not What there, I then want to know is if you wore
1: that, what did the bride wear to top it and that's a whole different conversation <laughs>
0: enough about me and my tiara but yes so that was all about
1: coming of age in the aboriginal culture and walkabout. about we hope you enjoy it and we'd love to hear about what coming of age traditions you've done
0: so drop us a note and let us know you've been listening to culturally speaking with music by kevin mcleod please rate and subscribe on whatever podcast platform you're on get in touch with us on instagram at Culturally Speaking Podcast, or via email,
1: you'll find all the details in our show notes. Tune in next week for more culture. Until then, stay cultured.